So some years back, our student ministry team, our Apex team, uh, the adults, uh, received some funds to upgrade the youth room. So they got some new games put in, uh, some new tables, uh, ping pong table, that kind of thing, air hockey table. And then they put in two mini basketball hoops and they attached them to the wall. Some of you see already where this is going. And the team wasn't like naive. They didn't think like this would, you know, never you know, come off the wall by any chance. But we thought, let's, you know, give them a chance and see where it's at. And so they reminded them that, hey, these hoops aren't for slamming the ball home. These are for good fun, play a game, but you can't dunk on these rims. In fact, they put a sign up, and the sign read, absolutely no dunking. So that took care of the problem, right? The sign's up there, so... Obviously, they look at the sign and say, I can't dunk, I'm not going to dunk. Well, this is what happened. There were two. And now there's just one. And notice it's right next to the sign that says, absolutely no dunking. Now, the student that did this didn't do it intentionally. The student didn't look at the sign that says, absolutely no dunking, and say, you know what? Forget that sign, I'm going to go dunk and went and tore it off the wall. That's not how it happened. The student was in the heat of the moment of the game. They were playing the game, it was close. They were getting down and all of a sudden, it was time to quit and go back. And the student grabbed the ball and to make a statement, slammed home the final point to win the game. And off came the rim. It's a perfect picture of the human experience trying to follow Jesus. Because the truth is, we're all like that, aren't we? How many times have you been in a place in life where you knew what you were supposed to do? You knew the right thing to do, but you did the total opposite. Isn't it true? We know the right thing to do. We have the sign that says absolutely no dunking, but we end up doing the exact opposite. The person who wrote what we're going to look at in the Bible today, James, had a name for that tension. He had a name for the tension between when you know what you're supposed to do is right, but you end up doing something totally different. And he called that brokenness. He called that double-mindedness. He called that two-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D. He said, such a person is unstable in all that they do. But so many times we find ourselves in that place, don't we? We know what is right, we know what we're supposed to do, And we even try to work up to it, but then we fail and do the opposite thing. There's like this canyon between what we're supposed to do and what really happens in our life. And James wrote this letter that we're going to look at to heal that canyon. He saw people in that place, he saw Christians in that place, where they know what to do. He was writing to Christians who knew the Bible really, really well. They knew the sign. 
They knew how they were supposed to live. But yet, they lived a way contrary to what the Bible says. And he wanted to heal them. We're in a series called Becoming Whole, where we're going to look at the book of James and and the hope that James gives us is for those of us who've been in that place where we know what we're supposed to do, but yet we do something else. James says that God has the power to heal that. God has the power to transform that. God has the power to take broken things and make them whole. To make them, as he said, mature and complete. In line, integrated with what the word of God says. The good news is God can heal double-mindedness and fractured hearts. God can mold us and shape us into the people that he longs for us to be who are whole, united in heart, living for him. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to James chapter 1 if you haven't already. And we're going to look at verses 19 to 27. I'll be on page 977 if you're using the Bible in the worship center. If you're new to the Bible and you're thumbing through here, go to the back. Go past Matthew, Mark, Luke. James is after the book of Hebrews. If you hit 1 Peter or 1 John, you went too far back up. And I want to give a warning as we dive in here because James is very, very blunt. His personality had to be one that he didn't nuance things very well. He just told it like it is. He just lays it out there. And sometimes the way he writes this, I even noticed this as I was preparing and studying, it's unlike other parts of the Bible. He kind of just takes a two by four and hits you across the head. He just says, this is how it is. And he just bluntly lays it out. And so as we read this, if you feel like this harshness, that's because that's the heart of how he's writing this. He's laying that out. But he's hopeful. And his heart and the reason he does that is he desires so much for us to be people of wholeness that he wants to be very, very, very clear because he knows that there's hope in God. So he gives us two ways that we live out the Christian life faithfully. The very first way he lays out is that we have to be people who are faithful to the Bible. If we want to be whole, If we want to experience wholeness, we have to be faithful to the Bible. And he gives us a preamble before he dives into that. Look at verses 19 to 20. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, the people that he was writing to, the ones that were broken, that had this, they knew what the right thing to do was what they were supposed to do, but they didn't do it. Two of the areas they really struggled was with what they said to one another and their anger. It's apparent. We see it throughout the book. And so he starts off with some basic good wisdom. The people he's writing to were Jewish Christians, meaning they were raised in the Jewish faith And then Jesus came along and they gave their lives to Jesus. They surrendered to him. And so now being raised Jewish, now they're Christians following Jesus. So they had much Jewish wisdom poured into their lives. They knew a lot of the Old Testament. And so James is capitalizing on good Jewish wisdom on how to live. And he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to speak 
to become angry. This is a good way to live. And he just lays it out. Some of you received this advice growing up in your homes and your families. If you ever had a relative say something to you like this, notice that you have two ears and one mouth. So listen twice as much as you speak. It's good, wholesome wisdom. He pulls from the Jewish wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 27, where he says, The one who has knowledge uses words without restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It's a great way to live. Now, you might be saying, well, does this mean all anger is bad? Well, no, there's a righteous, holy anger, and we saw that in the life of Jesus. But that's the exception, not the norm. Because James goes on to say here that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Oftentimes, human anger rarely produces the fruit that is pleasing to God And to help prevent that from happening, we need to do more listening and less speaking. This is a huge act of love, to listen. To truly listen as a Christian. To not listen and be preparing your answer and trying to get out what you want, but to really focus in on the person you are dialoguing with and listening. That's an act of love. That doesn't happen much in our world. And when we as Christians give that gift to another person, it marks us as people of love, people who care. That we're people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. It took me a long, long time to get this as a pastor, but I found after 25 years of doing this that many times it's better to ask a really, really good question of somebody than to have a really good answer. Most of the time, people will find the answer. What's really more of wisdom is to ask the right question. What are we truly getting at here? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He's bluntly telling us. And then he moves in how the word, into how the word of God molds us, and he calls us and his audience to be people who submit their whole lives to the word of God and allow it to have its transforming effect on our hearts. To help us be faithful in the Bible, James gives us three pictures of what the Bible really is. He highlights three pictures of what the Bible really is to entice us, if you will, to live it out. The first description he gives us is that the Bible is implanted truth. It's implanted truth. Look at verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. There are things that doctors implant in our bodies to save us. Things like pacemakers and stents and plates. Having the Bible implanted in us will save us as well. 
Storing up God's word within us allows the Holy Spirit to come and activate the word that we stored in our hearts to bring transformation to our minds and our hearts and our wills and our emotions. If we want to be people who are whole, we need to be active at taking God's word and storing it in the deep reservoirs of our hearts and our minds. Because when we do that and we stock up on the word of God in our minds and our hearts, when difficult times come, when life as ordinary goes on, the Holy Spirit can come and activate that word and bring about transformation. We tend to be people that like to give a lot of output, don't we? I wanted to be in on that decision. My voice wasn't heard. We want to give our two cents. We are to have more input of God's word in our life versus output of our own voice. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Because God uses his word stored in the hearts of his people. Not just for us, but for one another. And it leads us all towards wholeness. The second picture that James gives us is outward feedback. The word of God is outward feedback. Look at verses 22 to 24. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. If we are humble, if we are teachable, God's word can be a mirror that reveals our blind spots. All of us have blind spots. All of us do things that we're not even aware that we are doing that oftentimes are contrary to what the Word of God says. And that's why we need people in our lives, people who are close to us, people who love us enough to say, hey, I want to talk to you about something. I noticed this in you, and I don't even know if you're aware of it. But it can be hurtful to other people and contrary to the word of God. That's what James is doing here. That's loving people. That's not just bringing truth. But that's wounds from a friend that can be trusted. That's what is so beautiful about life groups. Being in a life group, you get to do life with a group of people who get to know you well and they can speak this into you. If you're not in a life group, you have to find somewhere where you're engaging and doing life with people in a way that they can get to know you. And, and as the body of Christ together, we move towards wholeness. It's a wonderful thing. Or in our family settings, that we love one another in our families, our deep, close friendships, that we're together to, to bring the truth. It's an important thing. There is a wholeness that comes from hearing the word of God and doing the word of God. James right here is saying, just do it. If you look at verse 22, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, in the original language... You know what that means? It means do what it says. 
Do what it says. Do you want to be whole? Do what the Bible says. Read it and then do it. We are very careful in a lot of church settings to say, you can't live the Christian life in your own strength. You must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the way that God wants you to live. And that is true. But that doesn't mean we just go through Christian motions, read God's word, attend church, and we do these things, and then we just wait for some miracle to happen to change us before we start doing what God's word says. I'm going to get more into this in a minute, but we are to put into practice right away what we hear. So when we hear, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, we should position our hearts in practice by going home today and being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Many times we think if we want to be whole, we have to wait for some mysterious or miraculous thing to happen first. And James is bluntly saying, if you want to be whole, just do what the Bible says and take steps towards that. So the Bible's implanted truth, it's outward feedback. He also says it's freeing power. Freeing power. Look at verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, look at the next two words, and continues in it, lives in it, plants their heart in it, stays with it, doesn't give up with it, stays in there, who continues in that perfect law that gives freedom, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do, i.e. they will become whole, fully mature, complete, blessed in what they do. Blessed in all they do is another description of saying that you live a life that is whole. God's word can set us free from patterns of brokenness. God's word can set us free from habits of knowing what we're supposed to do and doing something else. God's word can set us free from habits of being double-mindedness. There's a freedom that comes when we obey God. Jesus was the most obedient person that ever walked the earth. Therefore, Jesus was also the freest person that ever walked the earth. Christianity is about transformation. And transformation is about freedom. Saying no to sin and living the way that God intended us to live. That's whole. That's complete. But when we are double-minded... We do things that cut ourselves off from God's power to free us. We never, ever want to become people who love the Bible but forget what it says and never live it out. We don't want to be people who we, we love to hear the Bible taught and we love to hear the Bible read and we love what it says but then we leave it there and we go live however we want to live. Like the Bible is just a temporary entertaining thing that we participate in. There are a few greater tragedies than that. Because this is God speaking to us. 
This is our heavenly Father, our Creator, relating to us, guiding us and leading us. We don't want to be people who never miss a sermon but have absolutely no love for the person sitting next to us in the chair in church. We want to be quick to take what we hear and put into practice. Obeying God's word leads to life. Obeying God's word leads to wholeness. Obeying God's word leads to flourishing, blessed in all that they do. The Bible has the ability to set us free and give us the kind of life that's blessed by God. We want to be faithful to God's word and we want to live according to God's word because that is the best way a human being can live. God created everything, including us. He knows how he intended us to live and he put it all out here for us and says, if you live like this, you will live the best life any human being can live. Do you trust me? There are beautiful pictures of this throughout the Word of God. Pictures of what a life looks like that is single focus, united in heart, living out how God wants. One of them is Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. It says, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on the law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. It's a picture of flourishing. It's a picture of wholeness. It's a picture of not just self-wholeness, but a wholeness that infects the church to desire a life of flourishing. People who do what God's word says have the best lives. It's good to remind ourselves of this. So let me ask you kind of a pointed question and it I'm sure James would ask us if he was here. Where are you this, these days with the Bible? Where are you these days with the Bible? Is it something that's kind of external that you haven't dove into? Is it something that is the first of the year you said, I'm going to dive into this more and you started off well, but now it's slipping? Do you love God's word? And if you don't, it's okay. Because James is telling us there's a way to wholeness. So if you don't love God's word, be honest and say, God, I, I want to love your word more. I want to know you more. I want to honor what you said. I want to have this relationship with you. Will you meet me in this place and forgive me and help me see? Give me a hunger for your word. Give me a desire to know you through the Bible. Would you open up the eyes of my heart to see that? See, when you pray like that, you're doing what James says when you're humbling yourself and you get more grace. And it leads to transformation. Why is this so important? Why is the Bible so important? Because this, there is a direct correlation between our affection for the Bible and our affection for Jesus Christ. There's a direct correlation with our affection for the Bible and our affection for Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled all that was written. And he lived it out. And he said, this is my word. One of the many, 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 many things I love about my wife Pam is she has a heart for God's word. And one of the things that I love that she has done from the moment we got married 
and even last to today, is I'll walk through our house and all of a sudden I'll see bits of scripture written everywhere. And it's not so much as like a decoration, though we have that, but it's sometimes on just a yellow sticky note on a mirror. Or sometimes it's a three by five card on a cork board or on a refrigerator. Or sometimes it's on a little chalkboard we have by our coffee pot. And as a person whose job it is to study the Word of God, sometimes I could study the Word of God and really be neglecting and applying it to my own life. And what I love about these little flashpoints of Scripture throughout the house is it reminds me to do this stuff and to live it and to find my life there and find my heart there. It's not just a mental exercise or a religious duty or a religious habit, but it's the words of actual life. When we do what James is quick to point out, something else happens. We're empowered by God's word to be faithful to live as Jesus intended us to live. We're faithful to live the way that Jesus intended us to live. Look at verses 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James boils it down again, very bluntly, like a two-by-four between the eyes, and he says, if you have no rain on your tongue, and you attend church without attending your soul, meaning your Christian life is all outward and not inward, then you'll be broken, and your religion is worthless. If all it is is like this cosmetic thing we put on, if that's all Christianity is, and we And a lot of us have been in churches long enough, we know what to say, we know how to look, we know how to act. But if all it is is saying, looking, and acting, but it's not really getting deep into our hearts to the point where it changes us, then it's worthless. Ouch. Faith has to be real. And we know it's real when we see it. For any of us showing up at Crossview, if it's just something we do or something we watch online and that's all it is, then our faith is worthless. There has to be action with the profession of faith. We have to walk the talk. James says that your faith does not empower it. James says if your faith does not empower you to talk in a way that brings life, then it's worthless. He said, if your faith does not empower you to look at those who are marginalized like orphans and widows, then it's worthless. If your faith does not empower you to leave behind habitual sin and not be polluted by the world, then it's worthless. James, in a very real way, is saying, you can't measure your faith by the people you hang out with or the church you attend or the things you say you believe. Let me listen to your words and I'll tell you if you have Christian faith or not. Let me see how you live out your faith at your job, in your home, 
and I'll tell you what your Christian faith means to you. He's coming at double-mindedness. He's coming at this place where we know what we're supposed to do, but we live a different way, and he's pushing us to let God heal that and bring wholeness. James is saying the things we post online and the things that come out of our mouth reveal our true spiritual maturity. One person said our social media posts say more about the spiritual condition of our heart than our about me sections that we put online. This is hard. But we have to have truth in the journey to go from brokenness to wholeness if we're going to arrive at becoming whole. The journey from going from brokenness and double-mindedness to wholeness is worth it. Even if it offends us at times. The gospel itself is offensive. You're a sinner. That's an offensive truth that leads us to life. So, how do we live this way? How do we do these things? How do we make sure we pursue wholeness and not double-mindedness? I want to share with you two thoughts. First of all, we need to know how we grow as Christians according to what James is saying. We need to know how we grow as Christians according to what James is saying. You might be here today and you might be saying, Dan, I try. I try to do that stuff, but I fail all the time. And it kills me, but I live in that place all the time where I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it and I hate it. If you hate it, that's a good place to be. See, Christians aren't perfect. They just hate that they're not perfect. If you hate it, there's something in your heart that desires wholeness. And if you hate it, you get on your knees and you say, God, will you heal me? Will you take the intentions of my heart to do the right thing and the result that is not, oftentimes doesn't match? And will you bring those together? See, James says when you do that in James 4, 6, you get grace for wholeness. He says when you admit it and you bring your brokenness before God and you say, I really want to do this, but I can't, and your gut level honest with God, that person finds grace. That person finds God picking them up and saying, okay, let's do this again. Truthful, honest repentance gives grace through the humility and leads us to wholeness. That's a great place if you're there. But the audience that James was addressing, some of them were, were very proud Christians who refused to be humbled. They were those who never missed a sermon but had no love in their hearts for anyone else. You see, that's why humility is such a key essential to spiritual growth. A contrite heart, a soft heart that's quick to admit when they're wrong is such a key essential to becoming like Jesus. From moving from brokenness to wholeness. James also shows us another way we are to grow, and I touched on this a little bit. We oftentimes in churches say, we can't do this in our own strength. And that is true. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength. Spiritual growth comes when God empowers us through the Holy Spirit. However, 
Many people in the church take that to mean, I just attend church and I read my Bible and I pray, but when it comes to my behavior, I just do whatever I want and I wait for God to change me. That's not gospel Christianity. I believe James would say, yes, transforming your behavior is the work of the Holy Spirit. However, you start practicing that now when you hear God's word. You don't delay. He didn't say, someday you'll be quick to listen, someday you'll be slow to speak, and someday you'll be slow to become... No, he said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Do it. We put into practice what we hear in the word of God and we grow into holiness. We act like a follower of Jesus today, even though we don't do it perfectly. C.S. Lewis had a great illustration of this. He talked about how children like to play dress up. And he talked about how if you think that one day there was this little girl who was playing dress up and she was dressing up like a doctor and she had a pretend toy doctor's kit and the toy doctor's clothes and she started pretending to be a doctor. Maybe that birthed within her this desire to become a doctor one day. And she went to school and she graduated and lo and behold, she became a doctor. She practiced and pretend and then she grew into that. You see, inner growth catches up to external change. Inner growth catches up to external change. When you start leading yourself and saying, you know what, I'm going to say no to that sin because I know it's wrong, and even though there's everything that's compelling me to go there, I'm going to say no, I'm going to try to fight this, and God, will you help me? And you start taking steps, you find the Holy Spirit in that place that brings transformation. The gospel is not merely behavior change. It's a deep work in the human soul, but it starts, the process starts when we move in the direction of holiness now. When we purpose in our hearts to take what the Bible says and apply it and live it today. We move toward spiritual maturity. We don't wait for it. Wholeness is emotion. It's a movement. It's not a moment. Like we're waiting for a moment for us to all of a sudden become whole. No, we move towards wholeness. It's a decision. The second thing I think we need for this is we need to know how to pray the Bible back to God. We need to know how to pray the Bible back to God. If somehow there is a a lamp that could give a pastor three wishes... And I could rub the lamp and they say, you can have three wishes for Crossview Church. One of them would be that we would be a church that knows really, really well how to pray the Bible back to God. And you might say, that's a really odd wish. But I tell you what, this practice has really transformed my prayer life. And I would say it's transformed my life. I ran across this book by a guy named Don Whitney called Praying the Bible. It's a tiny little book. I totally recommend it. It's a very quick read. It will change your life. And the premise in this book is something we can all relate to. He says a lot of times we don't pray very long at all because we find prayer boring. It's boring. And the reason it's boring is, he said, because we all pray for pretty much the same five or six things. 
We pray for family, our future, our finances. We pray for our work and school, a Christian concern or a crisis situation. Pretty much all of our prayers can fit into those categories. And that's okay. That's a good thing. You should pray for those things. But what happens is when you're praying the same five or six things over and over, and you pray it the same way, using the same words, no wonder all of a sudden it gets boring. And you wonder, it's like the prayers hit the ceiling and fall down and don't have any effect. Because it feels like we're just repeating this tape over and over and over. But when you pray the Bible back to God, with those five or six things in mind, it changes everything. It gives you a whole new language of prayer. It's like if you take Psalm 23, and you open your Bible and you read, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And then you pray, Lord, you are my shepherd. And then when you look at wanting to pray for your family, you can say, Lord, will you shepherd my kids? Will you shepherd my kids? Because you can shepherd them better than I can. You're the great shepherd. And with a shepherd, a sheep draws close to the shepherd. Will you draw my family close to you? And will you shepherd them? And will you be there in a way that they would lack nothing? That they would not want And God, I bring you my heart that's full of anxiety and full of all these anxious thoughts. Would you lead me to green pastures? Would you cause me to lie down by quiet waters? Now you're praying the Bible back to God and you're praying those same five or six things but with a totally different language. And you can do that with any scripture. You can look at verse 21 of James chapter 1. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted into you. God, I'm full of filth and all these evil thoughts come into my mind. Will you help me get rid of this? Will you help me to accept your word that is planted inside of me, which can save me? You pray that back to God. Many of you started the Crossview reading plan, and that's great, but don't just read the Bible. Each time you read it, pull a piece out and pray it back to God. And you could run that list of your five or six things and you run it through God's word. It totally transforms your prayer life. Doing this doesn't just have us read the Bible, but it has the Bible read us. And that's the relationship that James is getting at that moves us from brokenness to wholeness that moves us to the place where we obey the Bible and we find abundant life. We obey the Bible and we move from double-mindedness to people who are whole and free and full of the life of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask... that you give us a hunger for your word because then we have a hunger for you. Give us a thirst for your word. And Lord, we bring to you our brokenness. We bring to you our double-mindedness. 
We bring to you the areas of our heart that know what we're supposed to do but always do something different. Would you bring your healing to that place? Would you bring a wholeness to that place? Would you help us to walk out a life contrary to the flesh as we live a life gazing upon you and living within your loving gaze for us? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.